This is Michelle Dawes-Burt of Real Chicks Rock, and this is RCR Presents Real Discussions, the podcast. Enjoy. Good afternoon and welcome to RCR Presents Real Discussions. I'm your host for today, Michelle Dosberg, for a special edition. Those that uh, watch my show and know that I'm typically on Sundays, every first and third Sunday from two to four. But today is so special that we had to just do a special edition and pop up. Um, today, I'm going to have a conversation with Little Lewis, the founding father of house. Little Lewis, welcome. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you. My pleasure Thank you. to be Thank here. Thank you so much. We're so excited that people have been waiting. They're like, come on, it's four o'clock. Let's go. Let's get started. All right. So welcome to Atlanta. Welcome to Atlanta. I'm happy to be here. Uh, we're welcome. We're glad that you're here. Um, we apologize for the traffic. Uh, it's, no, it's, no just, it's just horrible just trying to get about. Um, but we're glad that you were able to get here safely. Mm-hmm. I want to take it back to when you were a little kid or okay. younger in Chicago, right? Okay, Born sure. and raised in Chicago. Is that correct? Absolutely. All right. So yes. Tell me a little bit about that. Uh, well, I was uh, born a f- few years ago. Okay. Okay. <laughs> and, um, you know, it came up in a very dynamic setting. I mm-hmm. uh, was born on the west side of Chicago, and um, mom and dad um, raised us in a very spiritual setting, mm-hmm. but we were um ensconced in abject poverty. Mm. Um uh, so there was a lot of uh racism around us. Mm. Um you know, it was a a, a hard but a beautiful upbringing. Mm. And um you know, music was always surrounding, it was always in the periphery. Um so you know, I, I from the the moment of you know that I can remember. Yeah. Even until now, music was somehow, you know, around me and, mm-hmm. and urging me somewhere. Mm, somewhere. Yeah. And that made it beautiful for you, even though the racism was like in your face, but you still had this music that kind of kept you going through day to day. Yeah. I mean, to be honest with you, I think that that was the reason for uh, the evolution of music in Chicago. Mm-hmm. And I think Midwest uh, and I, I can dare say even in the world. Um, and to certain degrees was because of things that right. happened, things that occurred, not because of inspirations that came from inside. It was right. things that we saw. My mother and father were, um, talented blues musicians. Mm. And, you know, when I used to watch my father, three, four years old, um, direct the band, right. you know, they would talk about life. Mm-hmm. And from life, the stories would start. And, and to this day, that's how I, I write. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Not to age yourself, but what were some of the music, some of the types of music that you listened to as a kid? Uh, Howlin' Wolf. Okay. Uh, Muddy Waters. Mm-hmm. Uh, we listened to Blues, Mahia Jackson. Yes. My mom was absolutely in love with her. Uh, and my mom and dad were signed to Chess Records. Yeah. So, wow. uh, yeah. So, so we, uh, we had a real rooted history in blues. Nice. Um, and also, you know, some jazz, mm-hmm. but I, um, I was listening to other things too. Like when I watched television, I was really fascinated by soundtracks. Really? Yeah. And I think uh, when you listen to the, the new albums that I'm putting out, mm-hmm. you'll hear that finally. You know, eventually I had classical, uh, became classically trained mm-hmm. uh, on keyboards. But um, first and foremost, it was the television and yeah. it was the movement 
mm. you know, as as per space and melody. Nice. That was really attracting me. Nice. Now, as a young kid in Chicago, were you a musician at that time while you were absorbing all this music? Well, to be honest, I I, I had no interest in being a musician at really? first. Yeah, my my thing was sports. Really? And, uh, yeah, I I was a. Uh, uh, my dream was to be a professional baseball player. No. Yeah, my inspiration was Billy Williams, <laughs> the Chicago Cubs, and Fergie Jenkins. And, really? Uh, yeah, so, you know, my, my mother and father had uh, quit by that time. Mm-hmm. My, my mom had uh, found God. Okay. And she decided um, to let blues go. Okay. And my father had a hard, more difficult time with it. Mm-hmm. But eventually, because of his devotion to his wife, he, right, right. he uh, acquiesced as well. So they decided, my father particularly decided that he was going to make us the gospel Jackson 5. Is that right? Yeah. And so I, I hated, I hated the proposition. I, I wanted nothing to do with that. But, you know, we used to get together and sing for church and, yes. and, um, and so I, I always kind of resisted, but it kept pulling me. Mm. And my first real, uh, memory of singing was, I think, five or six years old. I think I was five or six. Mm. And I, there was this guy that was talking, his pastor was talking, he was boring me. And so I just went up and I pulled his, his, uh, his coattail and I said, listen, I, I'd like to sing. Really? <laughs> yeah. And everyone started laughing and he was embarrassing. And I started singing, uh, this little light of mine. Mm. And my mother told me that was my song that's and a, it was my destiny. That was everybody's staple yeah, at yeah, that age, yeah, but I'm yeah. sure it was really good. Yeah. And so from there, you know, I um, I started playing drums. I, mm. I became really interested okay. in drums. And that was the first instrument that kind of stuck with me. Mm-hmm. And um, But, you know, eventually I had this conflict between sports and that. Yeah. And, and uh, through a really bad car accident, mm. sports lost. Really? Yeah. Yeah, so I was almost killed in a car accident when I was a freshman. Wow. In school. And by that time I was playing basketball, but that kind of yeah, yeah. Yeah, severed that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and so music just took center stage. The, yeah, that was the pursuit. Yeah. What were you? some of your musical inf- influences during this time? Um, to, to be honest with you, I, I, I don't, I, I would say my father okay. uh, and my mother were influences. Um, I was inspired by a few people. Um, One of the strangest uh, inspirations for me was Led Zeppelin. Really? Yeah, my father was um, um, a good humor ice cream truck driver. Driver. And uh, he used to park outside of Chicago Stadium. And so in the early 70s, you know, I was his his partner. So, Mm -hmm. you know, I would go out with him and and help him sell his ice cream. And a promoter at Chicago Stadium, they became, I guess, buddies. He would give him ice cream or whatever. So mm-hmm. he said, listen, uh, would your son like to go and see a concert? And he said, yeah, sure. So mm-hmm. Led Zeppelin was playing. Wow. <laughs> so the first show that I ever went to was Led, Led Zeppelin. Zeppelin. And he literally took me up to the front seat. Wow. And I just remember looking at this man with these tight pants on gyrating as hard as he could. And the audience was just mesmerized. And I was mesmerized. And every move that he made yeah. meant something. Right. And I think that was the first time I realized the authority, not the power, because mm. God has all power, but the authority that musicians and artists mm. have. And if you understand the connection, yeah. you know, you can use that authority. Awesome. And so now even when I play and when I when I create music, I, I think about that. Wow. That's my approach. Wow. Wow. So now we're still in Chicago, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And um, 
we made it through this accident. Thank goodness you're still here, right? So you've made the decision that you're going to really focus on music. Did you, was it just becoming a musician? How did you really start to throw yourself into the music side? Well, well there was another accident uh, that happened when I was 12 okay. in, in 1974. So I will give my age away uh, voluntarily. <laughs> okay. uh, oh, um, but my mother, um, because she was all about the community, she started giving these parties and it was these crazy, insane parties where she would invite the heads of gangs Mm. To all get together, mm. uh, Jeff Ford and all of these guys, right. and the Black Gangster Disciples and Vice Lords. And yeah. she, her philosophy was the reason that they were enemies was because they weren't familiar with each other, mm. and so her, you know, she wanted to bring them together, which I thought was crazy. Right. And so she did that, and so we had this party <laughs> on the West Side, and it was just lit up with gangs. It was just chock full of gangs, and I was serving punch, and there was this guy named Tommy who was the DJ, and he was actually my sister's boyfriend. And in the middle of the party, Tommy had an epileptic seizure. Hmm. And so, you know, I look over, and next thing he's pulling the turntables on, the turntables hmm. on the one turntable hmm. over on the ground, and everything fell, and, yeah. and he's trembling and uh, biting his tongue. And so I actually stuck a spoon, my punch, uh, punch spoon in his mouth and literally saved his life. Wow. And so while he was over in the corner waiting in an uh, ambulance because mm. they don't come on the west side, mm. my mother <laughs> said, well, listen, someone, something has happened because people started pulling their guns out and they mm. said they were going to shoot up the place. Mm. And she said, Louis, go play a song. Wow. And so I'm like, I, I don't know what to play. Yeah. And she said, I don't care. Figure it out. And so I went over and um, I'm looking through records, Tommy's records, and I look up at the audience and they look at him and she better play something good. Oh, and, and I saw Jungle Boogie. And I thought, you know what, this is, this is apropos. This is, so I put it on and uh -uh. that was the very first song that I played. It was June 29th, 1974. Wow. And the reaction that I got from that song, that's when, that's when I knew that I couldn't run from it anymore. You know, I, I knew at that point that it was, it was it. Yeah. I was still all about sports. Yeah. But that but was it, it. That was it. And so from there, I started DJing and, um, uh, this, gentleman uh, named Milton Green mm -hmm. heard me playing because he was renting sound. Mm -hmm. And he told my mom that he really liked the way I programmed. Mm. And so he started taking me to these adult parties and this other guy on the West Side noticed me. So at 12 years old, all of a sudden I'm DJing at adult really? parties. Yeah, They sneaking you in? Yeah, I was playing. <laughs> the, the way my name, uh, Lewis, came because there was um, I was playing at this club called River's Edge. Okay. And there was a police riot. It was a, a, a riot. And um, so the officer, one of the sergeants came in, this big racist guy, and, and he looked at me. And so he started cussing, like, what the fuck is this guy doing? Mm. Why is he here? Like, mm. he's underage. And Milton said, listen, I'm, I'm his guardian, and, you know, and he's fine, and yeah. he's not drinking. So the guy came over to me and leaned over, and he said, what's your name? And I said, Lewis. Mm. He said, okay, little Lewis. If I catch you drinking, I'm going to lock you up. So I said, okay, I don't drink. And, <laughs> and from that point forward, my name was Lil, Lil Lewis. Lewis. Yeah. Wow. So, you know, things kind of, no accidents. It all kind of leads. It all works yeah. itself out. Yeah. So now you're DJing, right? You're, right? you're DJing these parties. You still got this thing for being an athlete right. on the side. Right. 
how did you feel when you're doing these parties? I mean, like, was it 50 people, 100 people in the room? What's, give me a, give me a feel for it. Well, I mean, you know, I was playing some of the main, uh, clubs. Uh, there's a place called the Golden Fork, mm-hmm. another place called MGM Grand. Um, you know, um, MGM, I mean, they would have, Seven, eight hundred people. Oh my gosh. Yeah, and so. how old are you when you're doing this? 12, 13. 12, 13 years old. Yeah. But you know, from, I, I just, from day one, I knew what I wanted because I gave in, submitted to my vision. Okay. And I think that, you know, a, a lot for me, mm-hmm. it, it doesn't start with what's happening out right. there. It starts with what you're feeling and what God has given you. God, gotcha. God gives me, uh, clear visions. Like mm-hmm. all, all of the songs that are quote unquote hits that I've made, they're mm-hmm. blackout, for instance. That was a vision. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, you know, my visions are, are from beginning to mm-hmm. end. And then I follow those visions and, uh, it's pretty, pretty simple to execute. Not always easy, but mm-hmm. pretty, pretty simple to execute. Mm-hmm. So I think that's kind of it germinated and, and developed from, uh, maybe a stubbornness that I saw in my dad and my mom because yeah. you know they were real pure artists. My yes. dad was an artist, so he didn't yield to the art. I got you. And yield to the pressure. Right, you know? right, right. He yeah. go with the vision. Yeah. He go with the vision. Absolutely. So now you're playing seven to eight hundred people in the room. Give me a couple of the songs that you played. Was it disco infused? Was it R and B? Was it soul or whatever? It you was. Wanted? It was R and B because I started before disco. Mm-hmm. And seventy four, there really was no disco. Okay. Um, but I was. Literally the first person in Chicago that started playing up-tempo songs. Gotcha. And in fact, I got fired from every club that I played up until 1979 because really? of that. Really? Yeah. And I also got a gun pulled, put in my mouth because I wouldn't play a song that I didn't like. So I was, I was, you know, I had gained a reputation oh of, gosh. of being stubborn to, uh, what a DJ was. Right. Because right. the perception of DJ back in the early 70s was you are, uh, you play what you're told. You're a jukebox, right? And, you're and like, no. yeah, and but I, I'd seen my father, and I'd seen Led Zeppelin, and I'd seen people yeah. that had identities, right? So my philosophy was, even though you're paying me ten dollars for the whole night, because that's what I got when right. I first started DJing, dollar twenty five cent an hour. Uh, it was still you're hiring me, mm. so you were gonna get my art. You were gonna get what I felt. Yeah. And so, you know, I think the stubbornness paid off eventually, but it got me a few knocks. Do in the you beginning. remember the song you refused to play at gunpoint? Um, yeah, um, I, I believe it was. Um, Just interested, you know. Well, uh, I was threatened twice. One time was just got paid, which I hated that song. By Johnny Kemp? I, yeah, I just wouldn't play it. <laughs> to me, I, you know, I just didn't like that song. I didn't care how popular it was. Uh, and I think uh, it might might have been Full Tilt Boogie. Okay. Um, yeah, it was, it was 45 caliber. All right. That That's kind of what I remember the gun. more so than the song. The song. Yeah, I but I was you. threatened also by uh, uh, Johnny Kemp. Wow. Yeah. But it didn't matter because I wasn't, I wasn't playing. We're going to do it. We're no. going to do it. No. Let, no. Let's fast forward a little bit. When you got your first record cut, played, distributed, and, you, and you're playing it, mm-hmm. how did you feel hearing your own music being played in the club? Well, um, before I got the first record cut, I had made a bunch of songs okay. before. All right. Uh, I was in this group, and I'm almost ashamed to say what the name of this group was. I- I'll say it, because oh. you're going to hear about it in the film. The group was called The Sounds of Love, and that's the corniest name ever, <laughs> ever. And I and I, I own that. 
right? But, but I was, you know, I was 13, 14, what do you want from me, Sounds right? Sounds of love. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there was this guy, uh, Big Lip Willie, who played bass. Big Lip Willie. Big Lip Willie was serious. <laughs> okay. He was a serious, serious player. And, um, and, and anyway, uh, so, so we made some songs, and then with the um, disappearance and the, uh, actually the death of disco, quote unquote, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we, I realized that I couldn't, first, I couldn't afford to go in the studio. Secondly, uh, that whole premise was different now. Yeah. And I needed to kind of do something on my own. So um, when disco died, a lot of the clubs turned on dance music DJs. Okay. And so I started doing private parties and to bring an audience to me on a regular basis, I started making songs. Mm-hmm. And the only way you could hear those songs were at my parties. Okay. So pretty soon people started saying, well, you know what? Lewis is playing his strange stuff mm-hmm. and the only way you can hear it is to go. So it was a marketing thing. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then I realized that people were bootlegging my music right. and, and people were coming in there with cassettes. And then I saw a couple of my songs out. As a record, I'm like, you know what? Right, let me right, let me make right, this right. record instead of just seeing <laughs> this record. And so the first time I put uh, a song out, um, it was kind of an out of body thing to actually mm-hmm. see my name. You know, okay. it, it was it was a it was an interesting thing. Okay. But you know, it was it was also never uh, an end goal. Like mm-hmm. I didn't have that. I, I didn't want to be an artist then. Okay. I actually was cool with just being a DJ right. and a promoter. But you know, God knows His plan, and right, it right. has nothing to do with Amen. your plan. <laughs> you know, so no, I, you know, all. I submitted. Okay. So you're playing the record. What was the response in the room? Uh, it was cool. It was, yeah. it was cool. Yeah. I mean, people were. It was just different because mm-hmm. you know the the, the my approach was never conventional or traditional. Right. So, okay. you know, like for instance, I um you know, I run a lot of my instruments very hot without geek- geeking out. I run a lot of my instruments very hot. Mm-hmm. And I also come from uh, uh an era of vocals. Mm-hmm. So I you know, if you listen to my vocals, my vocals run very, very hot. Mm-hmm. But if you go back to Motown, if you go back to Nat King Cole, mm-hmm. you go back to Mahalia, those vocals were up there. Mm-hmm. You it was about the story, right. about the song. Right. And so when you look or listen to the average dance song, how some of the vocals aren't really hot. Mm-hmm. So I think the strangeness um, that I was doing at first, and even now sometimes, has to catch up mm-hmm. to what is yeah. conventional mm. or traditional, mm. which I don't care about. <laughs> tell, tell me a little bit about the DJ culture then, and then we'll talk about it now. Okay. So you're 12, now you're getting a little older, right? Now yeah. when you cut your first record, how old were you when you did that? Um, I think I was 21, 22, okay. some, something okay. when I actually cut the record. Mm-hmm. Um, um, so by then, you know, it was, it was a real DJ culture. Gotcha. But in the seventies, it was, you were basically a radio DJ that mm-hmm. was doing a guest appearance at a club. I got you. So if you look, you know, someone like a Herb Kent from mm-hmm. Chicago, mm-hmm. I was a glorified Herb Kent. Kent. You know, uh, and I was really the first DJ that refused to talk. And the reason I refused to talk was because someone made fun of me. Really? Of my voice, yeah. Uh, when I was young, I had a very high-pitched voice, okay. you know, and, and so I I remember the first time I had to make an announcement, I was terrified, and I literally had my head, my head, my legs, like, with the mic off for, like, 45 minutes, because I was very shy as a oh, child. Okay. And then... 
by the time I turned the mic on and tried to announce it, just squeaks came out. <laughs> and uh, so, you know, this guy that I, I really admired, you know, said something very negative. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I just decided, you know what, I'm not going to speak. I don't right. have a good voice. And right. God blessed my vocals to come down a little bit. And okay. now I can speak. Now you can speak. But um, I, I think what that taught me and what that showed me, the path that led me is to let the music talk. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, when I stopped talking, my expression increased. Okay. The musical expression right, increased. Right. And then, you know, I saw a lot of other people that stopped talking as well. Mm-hmm, you know, because mm-hmm. at first in the seventies, everyone talked. That's yeah. just the way it was. Okay. You know, you played a song. Yeah. You have one turntable. And in between the songs, that was the mighty clouds of joy yeah, or whatever the, it was, or yeah. the spinners or whatever, yeah. you know. And yeah. you know, so we eliminated that when we got you know, a mixer. <laughs> so now, what is your viewpoint on the DJ culture today from what you see and gather or sense and feel from it? Um, it's dynamic and linear at the same time. Mm. I think that um, we don't have people, a lot of people, pushing through the force field. Mm. Um, and, I, you know, I am blessed to be in a position that I am, that I don't have to be PC. Right. Uh, and so a lot of the younger DJs and even the DJs that have come after me that are now established, right. I always try to push them towards their own creative voice. Right. But what I hear often is um, a linear expression, mm-hmm. some, something trying to get out of a box mm-hmm. that doesn't quite get out of the box. Right, right. And the box is, you know, what is popular, what is yes. what you need to play in order yeah. to move to the next level. Yeah. I don't believe in any of that. Yeah. I'm going to play what I play. I, I'm doing a, an after party at Wild Pitch mm-hmm. on Saturday, and I'm going to play what I play. Yeah. And when I go to Japan, I play what I, I play. play. It doesn't matter where I go yeah. because if you want me to come, I'm going to come <laughs> with my music, you know what I mean, as opposed to what is hot what or is popular. Not, what's not, yeah. And so, you know, I, I'm, I'm hoping perhaps, uh, you know, in me taking willingly the lead that others will, mm. you know, follow suit and, and, and push out of this box. Yeah. You know, yeah. Like it's that. about supply and demand, too. And, I, and you know what? Also, um, DJs are very powerful um, in the sense, and you talked about power. Um, because you can make the room change. You can make the temperature change in the room. You can get people to respond to you. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of people don't take time to invest in that power to right. understand that. Right. Um, there is an understanding of music. You have to understand music. Sure. Not to be a musician, but just understand what's going to work, what's not going to work, how to braid it, how to blend it, right. how to go from here to there right. and still be unique. A lot of people do just kind of stay in the box because it's safe yeah. and you go through the top 40 or whatever it is, but it's just, it's boring. Right. Um, but then when you take that route, you're not going to the bank maybe mm-hmm. as much. So there's the, there's so much in stepping out of the box. You, you definitely have to be a risk taker. Right. Well, it, I think the, 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 the power is waiting for you mm-hmm. just as the bank is waiting for you. Gotcha. You have to submit. I mean, you know, I, I, I have to say, you know, mm-hmm. a lot of synergy. There's a lot of synergy between sex and music. Yes, it is. And the best times I've had is in moments of submission. All right. Okay. And so, you know, if you're trying to take the lead all of the time, it's linear. Yeah. 
And pretty soon you will either wear your partner out mm. or bore her into tears. Yeah. So, you know, I'm all about submission. You know, I, I think going back to the power thing, the reason that I'm writing, I think the best uh, stuff that I've ever written is because I've yielded um, any and all vulnerabilities. All the macho stuff is mm. gone. I'm mm -hmm. just writing. Mm -hmm. And there are times when, you know, I look like an absolute fool yeah. in this album. And I'm fine with that because everyone on this planet has looked like a fool. Yeah. You know what yeah. I mean? And so right there, people will relate to me. Whether they do it openly or not. Uh, yeah. And, you know, if you look at all, look, going back through my history, mm -hmm. my most powerful records, speaking of the power, are the most submissive records. Yes. You know what I mean? Yes. So I do think there's something, um, to be said for giving in, yeah. for yielding, for allowing the room to talk to you, for looking in that person's eyes. Yeah. You know, my mother said something that stayed with me. You know, she passed on uh, about a year ago. Mm -hmm. But one of the things she said when she was singing is that she would always pick the enemy. Yeah. And and by the time she was done singing, that person was her friend. Wow. And so, you know, my philosophy is... You know, whether you're a hater, lover, it doesn't matter to yes, me. It doesn't yes, matter to yes. me. Uh, by the time I'm finished, yes, you are going to enjoy yourself yeah. and you're going to feel something. Mm. And that will to allow you to feel, I yes. think, drives me forward and allows me to feel. Awesome. Awesome. We're, we're honored that you're here in Atlanta for your album release, um, on the 31st at, uh, 595. Why, why Atlanta? Why, why would you want to do that here? Um, well, I, I have uh, an affinity f for Atlanta okay. for a couple of reasons. Right. One, there's a real relationship between Atlanta and Chicago. Okay, that just yeah, is. Yeah, yeah. You know, there's, there's, there's a lot of synergy. <laughs> yeah, there is. Uh, and I think there's also um, a drive mm -hmm. that is very similar. Um, there's oppression down here. Mm -hmm. um, there's oppression there. Yes. And I think that. There is a, a need and a will for the art to shine lights on that. Yes. In both okay. places. Um, I know quite a few people down here. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, when I was thinking about my U.S. tour, I followed my instinct. Um, because, you know, I, I, you know, I have the ability to tour anywhere. Yeah. But I thought, you know, if I'm going to do Chicago, I have to do Atlanta. <laughs> just have to. You just got to. Yeah. You know, and, and so I'm very, very happy that I have. I, I'm not sure what to uh, expect, mm -hmm. um, but I know what people can expect from me. Yeah. They can expect my best work. Yes. And by the way, too, it is a, it's an album review. So okay. I want to be clear because the albums, I have uh, six albums coming out back to back. Wow. Okay. And in the last uh, close to seven years, I've written about 1,600 songs. Mm-hmm. Um, so what we're going to do is, as I've done, um, I just did a review in Chicago okay. last Thursday. I uh, did Boston the week before. I've done a review in London, mm -hmm. Paris, and Kiev, uh, and Glasgow, Scotland. And so what we do is we take people on a journey, you know, my story, wow. how I came to write these songs, awesome. some of the things that happened mm -hmm. in my personal life. And yeah. then we play a song and let people dance their hearts out. Awesome. So uh, A review, an yeah. album review. A album review. On yeah. the 31st here yes. at yeah. 595 North. Yes. Seven o'clock. So right. for those people that did not RSVP, please RSVP on Eventbrite so you can be a part of it. I did. All right. I'm gonna be. I'm gonna be there. I'm gonna be present. Yes, the for, tickets are free too. Yeah. So yeah, I think they have to because they're running pretty fast. Mm -hmm. They're running out pretty fast, yeah. so they have to get those free tickets at Eventbrite. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, 
One thing about you in just in this conversation is I sense that you're extremely unapologetic about the things that you've done, the decisions that you made. No regrets. That's, that's just the path that you've taken. This is the way that you need to go. What kind of suggestions or advice would you give for other people? Just follow that passion, follow that gut because yeah. it, it works. I think, um, I'll, I'll, I'm going to go a little bit more nuanced into it. Okay. I, I, I do have regret. You do. I do. And I have such deep regret until my reflection surpasses that. Mm. And so I think when you reflect on things, mistakes that you've made, I've made so many mistakes in my life. Okay. You know, I'm, I'm very passionate about things. And okay. sometimes in your passion or whatever, in your pursuit of something, you'll skip details. Mm -hmm. But I do not live in regret. Okay. So I think the problem with a lot of people is either they don't regret anything, so mm -hmm. they just bowl over the world. Okay. Or they live in regret and they don't move. Mm -hmm. So you keep making the same, same mistakes. mistakes. You know, so I absolutely have uh, a ton of regrets. But I know that when I wake up in the morning, I'm doing my best. Okay. And I push harder than anyone that I know. And that's been a mandate since I was a little boy. Mm -hmm. You know, when I was going around with my father, selling good humor, um, I was also playing basketball. And I was a straight-A student. Mm. So I literally, and I started DJing at clubs. So I would literally sleep three or four hours a day. Wow. And I still do that. Mm. So, you know, I, I, I believe that this is the life that we have to live yes, now. This yes. is the time. My mom proved to me that no matter how vibrant you are and how beautiful you are and how special you are, you will die. Mm -hmm. You know, and mm -hmm. so, so now I have an urgency um, which I guess maybe lends itself to me seeming unapologetic, right. but I have an urgency. So either you are with me I got you. or you have to get out of my way because it's going to happen. I got you. Yeah. Nice and clear. Yeah. What, which, which hat do you like wearing the most? Oh, wow. DJing, producing, writing, music, being a musician. I mean, you have so many hats. Which one is your film one directing? You like? Ooh, film directing. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, it's, it's really, it's really crazy for me to say that because I had no interest in directing film mm -hmm. at all. Mm -hmm. But someone said something to me a long time ago. said, you know, Lewis, in the studio, you're a natural director. Mm. And that stuck with me. And I was always a frustrated director anyway. Okay. You know, and that's why, you know, with a lot of my music, you know, you can kind of visualize. Mm -hmm. I'm sure you can visualize what happened in French Kiss. Mm -hmm. And um, and the reason why I wanted to paint that visual is because I wanted you to be in a room. Yeah. And I wanted you to witness what was going on in that moment. Yeah. But now I can actually give you the colors. Okay. So now it's just not just the, the music, the audio. And you imagining the blues or the, the hues. Right. You, you know the color now. Right, right. And so it's allowed my art to really bloom and blossom. Mm -hmm. So, you know, my, my mom, before she passed, she said, well, you make sure that you leave with that music because that's the gift God gave yeah, you. Yeah. And so with the film and with everything I'm doing, that's why I'm doing the album first, mm -hmm. the soundtracks first. Yes. I want people to understand that the, the, the gift is appreciated mm -hmm. and it's leading me somewhere else. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I, I like the camera. You like the camera. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do you find that, um, that there's a big difference between your music here in the States versus Europe? How are you received in Europe? I'm sure like 
tremendously well, I'm sure. Yeah, I mean, you know, um, you know, it's no secret that um, most, um, you know, dance music artists are appreciated a lot more mm-hmm. over there, save for perhaps EDM, yeah. um, um, which is just, you know, it's, it's, it is what it is. And, and I have an appreciation for whoever does something legal. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm not here to knock EDM. I will never play it ever, <laughs> but I'm not here to knock it. But I think that what we, what we have to do is, is recognize the size of our picture. Mm. You know, for instance, this album review, these album reviews, you know, everyone that comes, the thing I hear over and over again is I can't believe how big the production is. Yes. And, you know, I, um, you know, I hired full orchestras to do some of the songs. So, I mean, literal full orchestration. One of my songs was a hundred, over 140 tracks. Uh, and it's like viola, cello, horns, everything you can imagine and, is in this. And nobody does violas. Right. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. I'm a, I'm a violinist. Nobody about, does violas. There it is. There, so you understand. I understand. Yeah. yeah. But for me, it was, you know, it goes back to when I was a child and I was listening to Rodgers and Hammerstein. Yes. And I was listening to this production. And if you take the music out of it, it's a black and white movie. Yes, it is. You know what I mean? So, I, you know, for this album, for these albums, my philosophy is, you know what? You're going to get the raw. You're going to get the Chicago raw for me. Yeah. Is that some, some minimum nasty, just, just nasty house records? But you're also going to get cinema. Mm. You're going to get Mozart. You're going to get Debussy, you know, wow. because I, you know, I studied their movement yes, as well. Yes. And, and the musicians that I work with are seriously and classically trained. A couple of guys, guys down here. And so, you know, um, we're going to get everything mm-hmm. and I'm going to give everything. So. Okay. Well, God bless you. Cause you're not going to play EDM. Sorry. No, I'm absolutely not. not. EDM. Guaranteed. But I got to talk about it though, because sure. today is, it's different slices of music. Right. right. I, I grew up with hip hop, right? Okay. Right? So hip hop was, it was hip hop. Now it's rap. Now it's trap. Now it's the, right. so now we had dance music. Now it's EDM. We and dance music, house, EDM, any viewpoint on that? What is splitting the diverse, having such a diverse well, sound? Well, you know, speaking of film, I have a film coming out. Um, it's called The House That Chicago Built. Mm-hmm. And after I release the six albums, then I'm coming out with the film. Okay. One of the things that, that I'm pushing is that there's so much uh, separation mm. until it makes the picture smaller. Gotcha. You know, there, there, you know, I have a uh, 185 DJs in my film. Mm-hmm. Literally everyone you can imagine. 185 DJs. I have actually the, the last interview from Frankie Knuckles right before he died. Ooh. And he and I talked for about six hours because he was my friend. Yes, yes. Um, and there's a lot of stuff that people don't realize about house music because mm-hmm. it just, it's Wikipedia and, yeah. you know, younger people who are involved in house are trying to yes. talk with authority. Yes. But we're going to straighten all of it out when Please. the film comes out. Thank you. And one of the things for me is to stop defining the box so small. Okay. You know, deep house. What does that actually mean? Mm. French Kiss, was it a pop record? Mm. What is a pop record? Mm. You know, because, yeah, we sold about 7 million copies of that song. Yes. But was it pop or was it underground? Mm. And does pop mean commercial or does pop just stand for popular? Yeah. It was a popular song. Right, right. But I don't do pop. Mm. And so I, I think it's important for DJs to st- Think beyond that. Get yes. beyond that. Like yes. what, what does someone in Zimbabwe want to hear? What is that story? And that story is very relative to your story. Yes. You know what I mean? I, I, I know there are women in 
in Asia, women all over the place in Thailand, women in South uh, in Brazil, mm -hmm. they all have the same need for love and for go. story. There you go. So for me, if you tell the story, tempo is irrelevant. There you go. You know, and so I think that's that's what's dwarfing it and also splintering it off. Mm. You know, you have a lot of writers who have no idea what it is, but they call it something. And I don't yield to that. <sighs> dance music is anything you can dance to. That's period. what it is. Period. Absolutely. Period. My goodness gracious. This is just too much. It's just too much. I'm going to take a break. Okay. Can I take a break? Absolutely. I'm going to take a break. We're going to take a break. Right. We'll be back in a few. Thanks. This is part two with a conversation with the founding father of House Little Lewis. Um, we just jumped in the conversation before, so let me go over a little bit of housekeeping notes. For those that are new listening to the show, um, Real Chicks Rock is all about the empowerment of women, and we do it through various different vehicles. We do it through our apparel line, the T-shirt line. Thanks for everybody that's been rocking the brand. I got my engineer wearing hers today. Um, we do it through community service. We do it through the arts, and we do it through ment um, mentoring and public speaking. Today is the arts platform. Again, this is a special edition uh, with my guest, Lil Lewis. Founding Father of the House. And so we talked about a lot of things in the first part. Mm -hmm. And I think it was very insightful. Thank you so much for being transparent, Pleasure. And informative and sharing. And I know there's a lot of people that are listening, taking notes because they might have felt trapped. They right. were probably operating in that box. Mm -hmm. And so I think by you speaking words of wisdom and encouragement and just what worked for you, mm -hmm. they're going to step out of that box now. Okay. So hopefully we'll see and feel a shift in the music. I love that. Right? Right? Absolutely. So what does, I, I'm a house head. Even though I said, yeah, I was born and raised in the Bronx and I grew up with house music. I mean, with hip hop. 
I remember um, when I was in high school, really getting into college, um, my block was so heavy saturated with hip hop that mm-hmm. I could not say I was a househead. Right. It was me and another guy. We would sneak out literally when I came home from college and go to Paradise Garage or go to Zanzibar. Mm-hmm. Just I really and guys on the corner was like, "Where are you going?" I was like, <laughs> "I'm not going anywhere." But right. I'd have a bag for a change of clothes, and so from early on. Early on, I've loved the feeling of house and what it does. And everything you said today was spot on mm-hmm. because it is. I thought it was me. I thought it was bugging out. I thought it was crazy because it is sexual. Right. It, it is very sexual and it, it's undescribable. You can't tell a non house head how it makes you feel. Right. I mean, I've seen people and the pictures don't lie when the music hits. They immediately go in this zone, this space mm-hmm. that it's between them, the music, the lyrics, the DJ, mm-hmm. the floor. Mm-hmm. Nobody else matters. That's right. Um, the genre, I love it so much is because I don't necessarily need you to embody me. That's right. I'm good with myself mm-hmm. and I'm gone. Mm-hmm. And I trust the person that's pressing play, touching that vinyl, doing that magic for us to have this rapport for however long we can go. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Um, What I'm finding though, is that to your point, people don't know how to really orchestrate that. Right. Um, It, then you lose my trust because at the end of the day, I'm a consumer, right? Mm -hmm. I work hard. I get this money. I carve out time to come spend time to get it in with you. That's You're right. doing your thing and I'm here on the floor. We have never met. That's right. You don't even know me. That's right. I paid to get in here. I expect something. Real talk. Mm-hmm. That's how I feel. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So when I come in there and I can't trust you mm-hmm. to take me where I need to go, I'm going to grab my keys. I'm going to quietly leave and say, well, right. it, it, the magic didn't happen. Right. I, it's something about house music, at least for me. And I think other people will agree too. It's something that it, it's like, it's epic. Like right. when it happens and you leave that situation, you're like, my God, I'm so glad I went. Right. It was something about it that just washed over me. So tell, do you feel the same way when you like for music for you, especially for house? I mean, cause yeah. that's what we get when you play. Yeah. I, I think for me, um, house music represents a lot of things. Yes. But. Technically, mm. um, I think a lot of DJs believe and artists that music is according to measures. Okay. You know, going from one to 32 or 33 to 49. Okay. For me, house music is a circle of measures. Okay. So instead of me trying to get to a destination, my philosophy is to make music melody create space so that it takes you right mm. back to yes. the one. Yes. And so by creating a circle of measures, yeah. it also lathers you up. Oh boy. It allows you this space where you can let go mm. and you can give in and you can submit. So once we have total submission, mm. it's a, there's a connection. There's no longer a DJ and dancers. There's a oneness. It's us. It's us. And so I think for me, m- more important than where I'm trying to get to is actually creating a movement, Mm -hmm. a circular movement so that we can keep coming back to the same love, the same space. And every time you come back to that space, it makes you happier. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. 
Are you? Are, do you have anybody that you mentor? You, you. Are there people under your wing that you're helping to share this legacy or just embody with? Because, well, to be honest with you, um, one of the most beautiful things about uh, doing the film mm-hmm. is that um, I do know some of the people that I mentored directly. Okay. Uh, and there's a lot about house music that people don't realize. For instance, Ron Hardy. Mm. I mentored him. Mm. And uh, a lot of people talk about Ron Hardy, yes. but very few people know Ron oh, Hardy. Man. Ron was a tourist like me. Okay. And so um, I met Ron in the 70s, and uh, Ron used to come to my parties, and um, and we had a lot of conversations. Okay. But we talked about bigger things. Right. Uh, Pierre is someone, DJ Pierre is someone mm-hmm. else that I can claim that I've mentored and okay. he would, he would absolutely attest to okay. that. But the mentorship was based on one thing. I tell people all the time, I'm a mentor because I made the mistake first. Okay. Not because I'm better than you. Because, gotcha. Uh, you know, and yeah. so, um, through that, uh, experience and through that submission, I can say safely that there are not that many DJs who are involved in the house. Mm that probably won't tell you they haven't been influenced or mentored by me in some way. And whenever I see someone or meet someone, my, my proclivity is to help move it forward, whatever it is, especially art wise, Mm -hmm. because I saw my father, I saw the frustration in his eyes right before he died. Really? Yeah. There was a moment right before he died, you know, when, when you know that it's hospice and it's, it's approaching that, and he had me come into the room. Um, this is about a week, week and a half before he died. And he was telling me things that he had never told anyone. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, I brought his guitar to him and I put it in the bed. And I said, you know, you've had a, an amazing time of it. You are an artist still. Mm-hmm. You're still an artist. Mm-hmm. And he hit the guitar and his hand had locked up. And he mm-hmm. said, I can't play this damn thing. I can't play it. Mm-hmm. And um, that was a real pivotal moment for yeah, me. Yeah. That was a real moment. I, I, I realized that there has to be an urgency right. in your art. And, and you have to have someone that's pushing you and urging you forward. Yeah. And so, you know, I've always been that person. Gotcha. You know, and so now whatever, whoever I meet, you know, you're going to get that from me. Mm-hmm. You know, because I could, I could do what a lot of people do and, and stay selfish with it. But I'm not afraid of sharing what I have because you can't do it like I do it anyway. Okay, okay. So I'll give you everything, all, all the knowledge right. I have, you know, and then you're going to play the way you play mm-hmm. and I'm going to play the way I play. There's a, a, a story between Ron and me that I am going to share in the film where, you know, he basically thought that, well, now, you know, I'm the man. Uh. And so, you know, we, we, we had a moment. <laughs> And it was it was a really beautiful moment. And people in Chicago know what happened during that moment. But afterwards, I told him because he was a little upset. And I said, listen, man, you know, we could have the same records, same exact records. And at the end of the day, you can't be me. Mm-hmm. And he said, what? Mm-hmm. And I said, and I can't be you. There you go. And that's the beauty of it. Right. You know, the way you play is the way you play. The way I play is the way I play. And that's the beauty of art. Right. And Stevie will never be Donnie mm-hmm. ever. Donnie will never be, you know, Nat. Yeah. You know, and, and what we need to try to get back to now, and this is a, a global mentorship that I'm trying to give at least advice, 
get back to who you are. Forget okay. who I am. Right, right. Figure out who you are, why it is that you're doing this, mm-hmm. and open up to the story. Because mm-hmm. I don't think a lot of people are open to the real story yeah. anymore. Yeah. You know, yeah. they're just trying to connect to say what you think, what they think you want to hear. Right. You know, even going back to you, I think what's important for the, the house head mm-hmm. is for the house heads to open up again. Okay. Because there is uh, a slight disconnection because people know or they feel they know a lot more about where you should take them. Ah. And so back in the day, it wasn't about that. It was really about I walk into a club. Yes. I'm open. I'm free. Yes. I'm expressive. Yes, yes. You know what I mean? Yes. And I think if we get back to that collectively yes. where the artist is open and expressive to who you are and mm-hmm. what you feel and the househead is expressive and open to the journey that I want to take you on, mm-hmm. that's where the magic yeah, is. Yeah, that's where it happened. Yeah. yeah. I think as we get... Um, become connoisseurs Mm -hmm. we start to have our favorites Mm -hmm. and then we close up Mm -hmm. well if so-and-so is not playing i'm not going Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. you know i've heard one person say i don't even go support female djs right it's got to be crazy it's just nuts and i and i feel like it's that kind of vibration that slowly kills off the genre. No and, question. You know, and we don't want that. I right. mean, it's too beautiful. Yeah. Like, come yeah. on. Like, don't you want your kids to know? Don't you want to see it pass on? Like, and so I, I ask people, you know, when they're in that seat, like, what can we constantly do collectively to keep it growing and blooming? And cause it's just, I mean, I'm going to get mine, but I want everybody to get that experience. Right. I just don't want it to be me in the room by myself, me and the DJ and a couple of people. I think the, the, sometimes the best times is when it is a couple of hundred or 50 solid or 30. That's all about being open, yeah. ready to go on that journey musically. Right. So I, again, I just want to just always want people, you know, those that are listening, just be open to it like yeah. don't play the favorites just be open give everybody an opportunity and and be ready to go on a ride yeah expectations i think sometimes makes the experience small yes you know yeah. if, if, if i knew what to expect every time i made love to my girlfriend mm-hmm. you know put your leg here you know <laughs> do it pretty soon it's like all right well, i'm gonna put my leg here you know but when i walk in open and i have no idea what to expect and yes. and, and it just happens you know, from a spontaneous perspective, from an open perspective, yeah. the love is beautiful. That's love making. Mm. And if I'm going to play, if I'm going to write, love making is a part of that. Awesome. Awesome. So the album, the album review on Thursday, people really won't know what to expect. Absolutely. Really? They won't know what to expect. Absolutely. They just need to come incredibly open yeah. to your story. Right. It's your story. Yeah. And, you know, it, it, it is it's it's. Part, part in part my story. Okay. But it is actually our story. Okay. You know, because whenever I write, uh, even if I write something from my perspective, it's connected to something. So there's no such thing as my story. Okay. It, it really is a shared experience that is maybe from my POV. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then even from that, I try as a director and an artist to to keep that from being biased. Mm-hmm. Cause I think that's so, so many times when you create, or when I hear creativity, I'm like, you know what? That's not actually what you're feeling. Mm-hmm. That's what you're saying to be popular. Mm-hmm. That's not actually what you're going through. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I was on the plane today, uh, coming here and this nosy young lady <laughs> was peering over <laughs> and she saw the lyrics that I was writing about. And before she got off the plane, she said, you know, I'm a, I'm a psychologist and, 
what I saw, I'm sorry to tell you, is incredible and it's beautiful. And wow. people should talk about that. So here's my card. I can show you the card. Wow. Here's my card. And I really want to come wow. to this event. And she just saw like the first four or five lines, but it's a very vulnerable song and mm. it's something that is quote unquote taboo. But for mm. me, taboo means what? What does that actually mean? It was taboo to be black, mm. you know, Come not on, too sir. long ago. Come so on. There's no taboo. Right. For me, you know, I, I, if, I, if I, God is connected to it, it's okay to it's express. All right. It's all right. It's all right. Awesome. Awesome stuff. You have a tremendous body of work. Thank you. You do. Um, and I, I said to you on the break, we are honored to be able to have these conversations where we can give you your flowers now. Mm-hmm. I want to know what are we going to do with all of this body of work? How, where do you ideally want to see it end up in a library? Where, wh- how, how do we preserve this music? How do we keep it going on and on and on and on? You know what's really incredible? Um, for you to say the give you the flowers now, I had a um, um, I was I had a conversation with Frankie, mm-hmm. and I'm getting a little emotional now because, you know, th- there's so many people uh, that talk about oh I love Frankie and I love Ronnie yeah. and all of these things and and you know and the fact remains the last five or six years of, of Frankie's life, mm-hmm. there was a lot of negative. A lot of negative. And so he and I used to talk because, you know, he could open up to me. And whenever Frankie was in any kind of down, I always talked to him. And that's another reason why, you you know, you'll see in the Chicago history, I was the only person to bring me, Frankie and Ronnie. We played together one time and it was at my party. Mm -hmm. And so Ron was the same way when Ron lost the music box. I brought him in and had him play the Bismarck. Mm -hmm. And... The thing that made me really sad and it made me angry was that people gave him the flowers after he died. All of a sudden, they're big fans and I love Frankie and I'm his friend. And and I'm like, no, you weren't. You were talking about all of these negative things. And so during our last conversation, Frankie talked about those things. And he talked about how it affected him. So when this film comes out, people don't realize, oh, I'm bringing the truth. So whatever people are trying to say now and whatever credit they're trying to take, they have to remember something. I was there at the very beginning and they weren't. Wow. And so um, as per flowers, I think it would be an incredible thing Mm. for us to celebrate what God has given me and what God has given the house heads. Yes. Because this music that I do is not for me. No. And so, you know, uh, to have hatred or jealousy or envy, mm-hmm. it's literally a waste of time. Mm-hmm. We should celebrate it now. That's why I came to Atlanta. Yes. I literally want to celebrate what people hear, you know, something that I was able to accomplish, you know, in spite of losing my mother and right, father. Right, right, you know? right. Okay. So Thursday, August 31st at 595 um, North Event Center, right? Doors open at 7. I need you to go to Eventbrite and RSVP and come on and stop playing because it's going to be awesome on Thursday, right? Because it's going to be you, the music, kind of like the soundtrack of your life, what you want to share a little bit with us. Yeah, you can imagine that this will be the most intense party Mm. that you've ever gone to had a child with MTV Unplugged. That's what it is. (laughs) 
Awesome. Yeah. So, you know, in between the songs, you know, there'll be a lot of, of da- uh, dancing during the songs. But during the song, uh, in between, you'll yeah. hear me talking about my life and mm. talking about the journey and understand, you know, how these songs came about. Because house music is not just a feeling. It's, it's a lot more than that. A lot more than that. And then you're going to give us some more on Saturday. At oh, Wild yeah. Pitch, yeah. right? Yeah, I'm gonna I'm doing something that I'm only gonna do a couple of more times during my DJ career because you know I've been playing DJing 43 years now mm. since '74. I'm doing an all night set, and the last night, uh, last all night set that I did was at Rex Club. I played for nine hours, and people are still talking about that oh in Paris. Oh my god! So from open to close, from ten to three, yeah. at Wild Pitch, uh, yeah, two fifty five Trinity. That's it on Saturday. You're gonna get a, a story. Oh my god. A real story of the history. How can people find you on social media? How can they keep up with you? Uh, can they? Can they? Yeah, I mean, I, I have a, a fan page. To be honest, I'm 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 not uh, I'm not really one who's on okay. social media a okay. lot. But little little official fan page. Okay. Yeah, I I, I wrote. All those songs because I'm just in the in the lab, <laughs> you know. You know, my my, my uh, people, my team, they sometimes they have to slide me food oh. because I'm just <laughs> I'm just focused on on the music, you know. And yeah, the urgency is there for me. Okay, wow, so, you're just gonna keep on going and keep on going and keep on absolutely. going absolutely until until yeah, it's all out until it's time to go. It's all out. It's yeah. all done. Yeah. Well, listen, you know what? I want to wish you. Nothing but continued success. Thank you so much. And everything that you do and all the hats that you wear, whatever gives you joy, whatever gives you happiness, I just want you to continue to do that. We want you to connect with us however you see fit. Okay. I appreciate the fact that you did what you did the way that you did it. Okay. And you gave me the opportunity to talk to a legend today. So for that, I'm honored and I'm humbled. And I'm thankful. My pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. The founding father of House Little Lewis. We want to thank Wild Pitch for allowing Little Lewis to be here with me today. I thank you so much. Until next time, everyone, continue to rock on. We hope you enjoyed listening to RCR Presents Real Discussions. Until next time, you take care and continue to rock on.